Father, as we come to your word, um, your, your word says, let the word of Christ dwell in, in you richly. So we ask that you would make the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Um, and that you will... Father, every one of us um, is, uh, is in process. We're, we're none of us completed. And very often we don't even know what the next step is for ourselves. You do, though. And I ask for every single one of us and all of us together that you will, by your spirit, uh, do push us towards the next step. Gently, kindly, graciously, strongly. Uh, help us to know what that is. Help us to uh, consent to you moving us onward. Um, so you know how to answer that prayer, even if we don't even know how to pray it. So do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. Um, please sit down. And uh, if you would grab your service sheets and turn back to page nine. And we are continuing in our series in Colossians. Just in case um, this is news, what we do here is uh, we take a book of the Bible. So for months, it's been the letter, Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we we read it consecutively over the course of many months. And that's what is the basis of the sermon. So um, I'm not choosing the sermon text week to week. I'm looking at what's next. And then that sets the agenda for what uh, the um, the sermon is going to be. I'm not sure why I'm telling you that, but it's just kind of FYI. So anyways, um, the, but, but in order to give a little bit of context, we print a little bit more than what the sermon is going to be focused on. So we're going to look at verses 15 through 17. So the second half of the second paragraph there, that's just to get us all on literally the same page. Um, one of the interesting things about being a Christian and hanging out in Christian land and church land uh, is that there's always um, there's always something of a soundtrack involved. Do you know what I mean? So the, you think about a really good film. Really good film almost always has a really good soundtrack, right? And sometimes, very often, you can forget a film for years and years and years until you hear the soundtrack, right? Like, it's, uh, for me, it's something like, this is because I'm old, it's something like Chariots of Fire, right? I, you, no, nobody here probably knows Chariots of Fire, but if you heard the, okay, you do, but but if, if you heard, I'm not going to sing it, but if you heard the song, you'd, you'd kind of go, oh yeah, I'd recognize that. Or Star Wars, or whatever it is, Harry Potter, and you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't know. Anyways, I know all that's old, so why am I saying that? Christianity is a little bit like that. We are always singing stuff, aren't we? And it's weird. And if you grew up in church, you may not think it's weird just because you've, you've always been kind of cooking in the soup. But if you didn't grow up in church, it's weird how we sing stuff. And what's weird about it is it's not just that we listen to music. Like, every you know, everybody listens to music. But it, that's not what Christians do. I mean, we do, but we do more than that. We actually sing it. You know, it's a sing-along. And some of us have otherwise no business singing, right? <laughs> I, I mean, no, I know. Everybody can sing. So join in. But, but you know, it's okay. Okay, my question is, why do we do that? I'm losing control. Why do we do that? You know, what, what's going on? And it's not just that we sing. It's that we, we're very talkative, right? So uh, right now, I'm, I'm giving a sermon, 
and they're weird. Sermons are weird. And some of you are glad that I know that. Um, and why do we talk? Why do we sing? You can see it in our prayers, right? Our service is full of words, prayers. Um, Michaela's going to lead us in prayer in a few minutes, and there's going to be words. And why are we so talkative? Why? What's with the soundtrack that's always around Christians? And it's even in our vision statement. Do you remember uh, Emmanuel exists to uh, see, describe, reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City? The middle verb is describe, verbs, uh, verbal verb. Why? All right, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these verses, 15 to 17, and here's what I want to show you. Emmanuel, our church, is to be, is designed to be a team that collaborates together largely through what we say and sing in order to help each other see Jesus more clearly. What does that mean, Jim? Well, I'm going to explain it. Okay, four things. There's a task in these verses. There is a motive, there's a method, and then there's a result. Let me show you, first of all, the task. Look at verse 16. It says this, let the, notice all the, you know, word words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's what I want to show you. One of the central tasks of our church is that we need to become a team that works together to make Christ clear for each other. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was on the cross-country team. Uh, and originally, I didn't want to be on the cross-country team because um, they're not cool, right? Then, a little bit later, I, it didn't take me long, I found out that I wasn't cool, so it was a good fit. And, uh, but, but one of the things about cross-country is, from the outside, it looks like it's, a, it's an individual sport, right? Like, folks run, somebody wins, that kind of thing. But it's not. When you're on the inside of a cross-country team, it's not an individual sport, it's a team sport. Um, on our team, there was no, like, star runner. We were all kind of, like, modestly talented. But we only ever lost one league match. Don't ask me about that one. Focus on the fact that we always won, except for once. And, 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 and that's not boasting. That's just, you know, truth-telling. Um, you can fact-check that. Uh, anyways. And, it, and we did that, even though we were totally, none of us were very good, but it was, it, we were collaborators. And it started with our coach. So our coach was a good teacher. Uh, the coach, our coach taught us to run smart and run together. And then we would all go out on these long, long runs, you know, We'd go out and run sometimes for hours, but we would end up coaching each other on the way. So if somebody was really struggling, we'd encourage them. We had just this wonderful culture of encouragement. It was, it was really great. But then also, if somebody was running stupid, uh, we felt very free to express that clearly. And, and what happened is, uh, the more we collaborated together, the more we loved running, the more we loved each other, and the more we passed other teams in races. Now, keep that in your mind and bring it back to verse 16. Because Paul says basically this. Don't imagine, Colossian Christians make the jump to Emmanuel Church. Don't imagine that Christianity is, a, is an individual sport. It's not. It's a team sport. Every single one of us, it's true, has to embrace Christ individually. But the Christian life is always meant to be a team sport, 
another way to put that is the church is fundamentally a collaboration to help each other see Jesus more clearly. You cannot do it alone. And one of the main ways we collaborate with each other is using words. So look at the verse. And again, notice all the word words. First, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ, what does that mean? Well, it means what we call the gospel, which is the central message of Jesus about who he is and what he's done and what it means for us. And then the word of Christ also includes all the rest of the biblical story that gives context and richness to that central message. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean? What does it mean to dwell in you richly? Well, that has to do with internalizing the word of Christ, the gospel, the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christianity, internalizing it so that you're not just parroting it. You're not just saying words. Like the creed, when we just said that, the point is not just to say, hey, check it out, I said right words. No, it's to internalize it, to understand what it means so that you can intend it while you're saying it. But then, so he says those words, but then look, he says collaborate. Look back at verse uh, 16. Teaching one another, admonishing one another, which means, he says, coach each other. Emmanuel, coach each other. Look for ways that the person beside you doesn't quite see Jesus clearly and say, hey, I, there's, there's an aspect of Jesus that I can see that I'm not sure that you can see. Can you see what I can see? Let me describe him to you. That's teaching. Everything you learn about Jesus needs to be passed on. But on the other hand, it's admonishing each other, which is a scary word. Admonishing scary. We don't use that word. You know what it means? It means correct each other. Rebuke each other. Say, wait a second, you're off track. You're running off the trail. Come back on the trail. I'll show you how to get back on the trail. Come on, I'll help you. Okay, let me pause there and just ask a question. Okay, don't answer it for real, but answer in your heart. Are you willing to be corrected, challenged, rebuked, admonished here at Emmanuel? Or would it just totally offend you? And I ask that question because uh, the only way that we can really become a culture of collaboration together is if all of us are willing to say, hey guys, I need you to show me where I'm off track. Help me see it. And at, just as an aside, you should periodically check in with our wardens and when the bishop comes with the bishop to see whether or not I'm doing that. Because I have to be challenged too. Now, when it comes to challenging each other, please can we not be jerks? Okay, can we just like, can we be okay with that? Let's not be jerks. Um, correcting each other is never cruel. It's courageous and it's loving, but it's never cruel. All right, what's the task? Uh, Jesus wants Emmanuel to be, to collaborate with each other, coach each other so that we can see him more clearly. What's the motive? What's the motivation? What drives it? Look at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. All right, the peace of Christ. We've got to wrap our heads around that. Um, when I was, uh, I think, like 10 or 11 years old, I was uh, kind of camping. Uh, I was in a, I was in a, staying in a trailer overnight it, next to this, like, bamboo jungle river bottom area in California. And in the middle of the night, I got up, 
And I grabbed the lantern, and I went outside, and I decided to go into the bamboo jungle river bottom area. And there were like coyotes in there and cougars. I didn't see any, but, um, and, and I heard that there was quicksand around, which sounded cool. Um, and so I went walking all the way to find the river. And, and as I was walking, like every time I swung the lantern, like all the darkness changed shapes and stuff. And, and I heard funny noises and, and then I got to the, to the river and there's this haze, eerie haze hanging over it, reflecting in the moonlight. It was cool. Now, here's the thing. Everything was scary, but I wasn't scared. And the reason I wasn't scared is because I was with my father. And it was my relationship with my father in that moment that just reframed everything. It turned everything that was frightening into things that were actually really cool and really exciting. Now, the peace that I knew because of the relationship with my father dominated that experience, not fear. Bring that back to verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule, dominate, set the tone for your life. So Paul's saying, don't let fear dominate your life and your church. Don't let selfishness dominate your life and your church. Instead, let peace, the peace of Jesus, dominate your life. Now, okay, Jim, but help me know more what that means. Okay, so if you're a Christian, by by virtue of being a Christian, you have a story. And part of that story means that at one point, uh, you, you didn't know God, right? And the Bible says that every one of us, even people that are, ex, you know, apparently good at presenting good, um, all of us, in our hearts, we have a natural inclination to, uh, to stiff-arm God, you know, to push God away, to run the other direction. And, and the Bible even says that, that fundamentally, um, in our hearts, there's the seed of really being God's enemy. And... And, and even, and even if we look at ourselves and we're like, no, come on, Jim, I'm like, I'm at least better than average. Behind that little thing of pride, that, that's always covering up and camouflaging something ugly. Right? But the Bible story, if you're a Christian, then it, it means that, that, um, God, instead of ratifying your rejection, God, God chased you down. And not in a creepy way, but in a loving way. God uh, sought you out, God chased you down, and, and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit collaborated together for your salvation. So God the Father uh, chose to reconcile you, chose to love you, even despite of all notable reasons to do otherwise. And, and then God the Son volunteered to give his life so that you could be forgiven. And God, the Holy Spirit, filled you so that instead of looking at God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you, the Holy Spirit softened your heart so that you could look at God and say, yes, I want what it is that you have to give. And then all of a sudden you found yourself saying, God is no longer my enemy, but my father. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, that whole story is packed into the phrase, the peace of Christ. So for the peace of Christ to rule and dominate your life, it means that that story of being loved in the midst of notable reasons for God to do otherwise, that's the story that is to dominate, drive, motivate your life. 
And that's how you know that the peace of Christ is beginning to do that, because it means that the peace of Christ, you know that the peace of Christ is dominating, ruling, motivating your life when it begins to penetrate your deepest shame. When you can stand before God and that little ugly thing that's hiding behind your pride, you're able to, to, to uncover it and say, uh, Father, I'm, 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 it's ugly. I'm terribly ashamed of this, but here it is. And then you can hear Jesus saying, uh, that shame and that guilt was nailed to my cross and died with me. And then you can hear the Father saying, uh, you, are n- you are not defined by that shame. You are my child, and I love you, and I've adopted you. And you can hear the Holy Spirit come and whisper in your ear, it's all true. And it's not just true for somebody else, it's true for you. Now, my point is that the more that that story is internalized in your life and in our life together as a church, the more the peace of Christ will rule our lives, dominate our lives, and, very important for our passage, the more we'll want to share that peace with other people. We'll we'll look at the person beside us, and loving them will mean, do you understand the peace of Christ and does it rule your life? So it rules and dominates, but it motivates us. That's the motivation. So what's the task? We're to become collaborators, a team, to help each other see Jesus clearly. What's the motivation? The peace of Christ rules in our hearts. This is our story. This is who we are. Thirdly, how do we do it? What's the method? Look at uh, verse uh, 16. This is where the soundtrack comes in. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Here it is. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing. It's weird. But it's really important. And I don't entirely, to be honest, I don't really get it. Okay? But the Bible teaches it, like all all over the place. I could show you all over the place where it does. And... It appears, and intuitively I know this is true, the Holy Spirit inserts the peace of Jesus into our lives, and when that happens, we just have to sing about it. Heart-engaged worship, friends, is simply the soundtrack of a church where the peace of Christ is ruling. Another way to put that is, show me a church that just kind of sings blah, 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 blah. I know that's not articulate, but you get the point. And I'll show you a church that something's not connecting. But it also means that our music, and this is really important, our music is not to entertain you or anybody else. Our our music is not to attract you or anybody else. It, it, It may, but that's not the point. What Christian music does, and I mean this in the context of, of our worship, is that it is meant to form us, shape us, teach us, and coach us. You see in the verse, verse 16, singing is one of the ways that we teach each other and admonishing each other. Singing is one of the ways that we collaborate with each other. Do you think of it that way? So imagine for a moment, imagine that um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just investigating Jesus, that I haven't surrendered to Jesus. I'm trying to figure out if Jesus is somebody I can trust. And I'm coming along to Emmanuel. And I'm kind of evaluating Jesus and everything, which is brilliant. You must do that. I, I, you're welcome to do that here. 
<clears throat> but then you, you begin to sing along. You begin to learn some of the songs. And what can happen when I start to sing these songs is that the song allows my intellectual engagement with Jesus to integrate with that part of my soul that loves and trusts and says yes and makes decisions and all of those sorts of things. It, it Singing models integrating, for lack of a better image, the mind and the heart. And it, it doesn't short-circuit the intellectual uh, engagement and rigor. Please don't imagine that it does. If it does, then that's called manipulation. We don't want anything to do with it. But it does go beyond mere cognition. It engages the whole of who we are. That's what the Bible means by heart. It doesn't mean just your emotions. It means your brain and what we call your emotions all integrated together. It's who you are. So that singing allows us not just to understand who Jesus is, but also to begin to taste something of his goodness and his, his trustworthiness and why he's worth loving and the pleasure of all of that. And so very often we'll find people who, who just kind of, after singing, they're kind of like, well, you know what? I think maybe I want to surrender my life to Christ. And I kind of realized that in the middle of a song. That was funny. And it does the same for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time. Um, it, now, uh, okay, be honest. Have you ever sung along in church? Those, for those of you who have been Christians for a long time, you ever sung along in church and you're looking at the song and you're like, uh, this is a weird song. I don't get it. Come on. There's, there can be two reasons for that. Sometimes it's, it's a bad song. Okay, <laughs> let's just face it, right? Um, but other times, it's not a bad song. It's just describing something of the Christian life that you haven't experienced yet. And so it seems a bit foreign. But in that case, it's really important because it's a coaching moment. It's allowing you to explore an aspect of following Jesus that you just haven't quite uh, arrived at yet. Please don't imagine that you've uh, mastered everything that it means to follow Jesus. You haven't. Neither have I. And on the other hand, when you're singing songs, you're like, man, this is my song. I love this song. And you're into it. And, and, and you maybe you even forget yourself in the midst of it, which I hope happens all the time. In that moment, you're not just singing for you. You're singing for a lot of the people around you because you're modeling what it means to integrate Christ into all of who you are. So we don't sing for ourselves. We sing for others as well. Which is another way to say church is a team sport. We're collaborators. All right. And then look back at the verse because Paul says we need a lot of genres. Paul lists three, right? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Um, we don't really know the difference between these, okay? I mean, we, Psalms can refer to the book of the Bible that called the Psalms, and we use those every week in our worship. But the rest of them, we're not exactly sure uh, what they refer to specifically, but we do know that it seems to imply uh, that we need all genres of music in order to adequately display the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we want to employ here at Emmanuel every creative device that we can. Many creative devices that we don't currently use, we want to in appropriate ways. That's why we sing uh, new hymns. That's why we sing old songs. That's why we use the band and the organ and the choir and 
again, we want to use many other things that we do not currently know how to use yet um, in order to show Jesus from every possible angle that we can. And our liturgical prayers, by the way, are the same way. You should think of the liturgy more like a song than anything else because it's an ancient form of spoken word. So when you say the liturgy, just don't say the liturgy. Say it from your soul. All right, task. We need to become collaborators in making Jesus clear to each other. Uh, motive, the peace of Christ drives us. The uh, method is we sing and we speak the word of Christ to each other in such a way that it's integrated into who we are. And then finally, the result, and this will be quick. The result is verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything becomes worship in the Christian life. And so when the church collaborates together and helps each other see Jesus here gathered, when the peace of Christ is more deeply ruling who we are and driving us, when the Holy Spirit is integrating our head and our heart together in worship, then we end up worshiping Jesus, not just when we're gathered here together on Sundays, and not even primarily when we're gathered together here on Sundays. This is practice. This is rehearsal. The game is when you leave. The game's at work. The game's at home. The game's when no one's looking. The game is when you're meeting up with each other and saying, how are you doing? Can you see Jesus clearly this week? Let me help you see Jesus clearly this week. The game is when you're talking to your friend who looks at you and says, I don't get you why you're a Christian. And, and you say, do you want to talk about it? The game is when integrity drives you more than ambition. The game is when all of your life becomes worship. And that's where we're heading. And that's when we become a gift to the city around us. In our vision statement, that's when describing the beauty of Jesus Christ connects with the flourishing of New York City. So it's important, not just for you, not just for us, for everybody whose lives we touch. All right? So we describe the word of Christ. We are ruled by the peace of Christ, and we do everything to honor the name of Christ. And that needs to be our soundtrack. Amen.